Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. At Alma, we know the connection between you and your therapist matters. But if you're already feeling stressed and burnt out, the idea of trying to find a therapist you really connect with can be overwhelming. That's why Alma's focused on helping you find the right therapist for you. When you browse their online directory, you can filter by the qualities that are most important to you. Then book free 15-minute consultations with any therapist you're interested in seeing. And because 95% of therapists at Alma accept insurance, you can find care that's affordable to You want to talk to someone, but not just anyone. Alma is there to help you find the right fit. Visit helloalma.com slash therapy30 to schedule a free consultation today. That's helloalma.com slash therapy30. Today, I'm sitting down with ex-NFL star Devin Still. Devin is sharing the incredible story about his daughter's fight with cancer and how he used the knowledge that he'd learned through years of playing sports to give her the coaching technique to motivate and focus on what mattered, to focus on getting well, to focus on how to be strong. If you have ever walked alongside someone who's ill, I think that you will find incredible solidarity in Devin's story. And if you are walking alongside someone currently who is fighting an illness, I think that this will give you hope. Hi, I'm Rachel Hollis. And I'm Dave Hollis. And we're married. For like 15 years. And we have four kids. That's like a thousand kids. We've been foster parents to four kids as well. And we're running a business together. That's a lot of things. It is a lot of things. But we know that it's possible to have an exceptional relationship regardless of the stresses you have in your life. So if you want some tips and tricks on how we get through all the things, this is Rise Together. so much for joining me on the podcast. Oh, thank uh, you for having me. Yeah, of course. I'm super excited to dig in and hear your story, um, hear about your family, hear about your work. But for people who are not familiar with you already, will you tell us who you are and uh, what you do? Yep. So my, my name is Devin Steele. Uh, I grew up in Wilmington, Delaware, and I ended up going to Penn State for college where I became an All-American, um, Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year. And in 2012, I was drafted 53rd overall to the Cincinnati Bengals. And that's when really a lot of people got to learn about me because during my second year in the NFL, my daughter was diagnosed with stage four neuroblastoma and was given a 50% chance of surviving. And we decided to use my platform as a professional football player to really raise awareness for everybody who's battling childhood cancer. And we started a foundation where we financially assist families who are battling childhood cancer. And right now I travel the world speaking to different corporations and businesses about creating uh, a culture of championship. And also I just wrote a new book where I teach people my winning playbook to overcome adversity. That's incredible. Uh, so much. Gosh, there's so much there. So let's start. Let's back up. Let's start um, 
I'm going to, I told Devin before we started, I am a very funny person to do this interview because I'm awful. I don't know anything about basically any sport at all. Um, so here's my first question, and please don't roll your eyes, even though I won't be able to see you if you do. <laughs> so if you're drafted, you said 53rd, is that right? right. Yep. So was that, is that um, meaning like you were, uh, 53rd is really good, 53rd is middle of the road, 50, I, 53rd out of, I don't know how many people. So was there a lot of pressure on you when you got started? Tell me about that time. Like how did it feel to to get drafted? Yeah, so I was drafted 53rd overall, meaning I got drafted in the second round. Um, there's a total of seven rounds in the NFL draft. So being drafted in the second is pretty high. And, you know, that moment was really an emotional roller coaster for me because I was projected to be a top 15 pick coming out of college. And, you know, I made a couple of decisions my senior year that really hurted me during the draft because I was the captain at Penn State during the Sandusky scandal. And, it was at a time where there was a lot of turmoil going on on our campus and the team wanted to boycott um, our, our bowl game. But I ended up talking the team into going despite everybody telling me that I shouldn't because I had millions of dollars on the line. But I knew as a leader that I had to put the university and my team first before my own goals for my life. And I ended up getting hurt during our bowl game. But once I heard my name being called and I was able to walk across that stage at Radio City Music Hall in New York, it was like all that didn't matter because my childhood dream was finally coming true. So you had you had gone into it thinking that you would be 15th. Right. In the top and so Yeah. So then there's a certain amount of like, does that does that hurt your ego? Does that like how does that feel when it's happening? Yeah, it did. I, I had a breakdown in my hotel, to be honest. I never really told people about that, but I had a breakdown in front of my family when I saw that my NFL dreams was falling apart, that I wasn't getting picked in the first round. And to be honest, it was really embarrassing because during the first day of the draft, I went to the draft. I had a lot of friends and family watching back home and to not hear my name called was devastating. But once I did hear my name called the following day, it's like everything that transpired the day before, it didn't matter because now my dream was my reality. I, what I think is so interesting about this is I have uh, not the same at all, but it reminds me of a something that happened in my own life, which was I had always wanted to be a New York Times bestselling author. Mm -hmm. And with my last book, I was like, this is my chance. And I I knew I had a chance. I was I was gonna make the list and I told people, like I told my fans, I said, I told my family, I told my friends, I'm like, this is the year. And the book comes out and it's not on the list. And mm -hmm. I, exactly like you described, I was, I had a full on breakdown. I was so embarrassed because I felt like I had called my shot. Like I had said, I'm going to do this thing. Watch me, watch this happen. And it didn't work. And I was so devastated. And then it happened. It just happened later and it happened different than I thought that it would. So if for you, how does it feel to have your dream show up and have it show up in a totally different way than you were imagining it would? You know, like I said, it, it was tough. It was tough in the beginning, but like once it happened, it's like the way that I wanted it to happen, it was okay that it didn't happen that way because I was finally at a place where I wanted to be, where I dreamed of being since I was 13. And when I listened to the story you, you just said, 
I can relate to it a lot because I, I just had a book that came out as well. And I know before we got on here, you talked about how you're big in the church, right? Mm-hmm. So when I was first inspired to write this book, you know, my first thought was I wanted to be a New York Times bestseller, right? And after a while, I stopped thinking like that because I felt like God had inspired me to write this book because somebody out there needed to hear it, whether it was one person, whether it was a hundred people, whether it was a thousand people, that wasn't my job to worry about. My job was to answer my assignment and get this book done. And I felt like if I continued to focus on it, being a New York Times bestseller, then I would have took away from that experience of writing a book, period, because not a lot of people get to write a book about their life and have people actually go out there and spend their hard-earned money to purchase it. And just to see the type of impact that your book had, regardless of whether it hit the New York Times bestseller when you wanted to or not, I think that's what it's truly about because God doesn't really care about you know your personal titles. He cares about saving people's lives. Yeah, that's so rad. That's so incredible. Uh, so you 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 get drafted. You're playing in the NFL. Is that, yeah. And then how much time, did you say it was your second year? It was right after my second year. So my my second year, it was pretty interesting um, because I was getting a lot more playing time this year and making an impact on the team. But when we played against the Detroit Lions, I ended up dislocating my elbow during the game. And I had to go through five weeks of rehab to get back to playing football. And soon as I got back, I ended up blowing out my back and had to get back surgery. And I just felt like my world was falling apart. And to top it off, a week later after flying home so I can be with my daughter, I ended up getting rushed to the hospital with blood clots in my lungs. And, you know, I almost died. So I ended up getting back into church. My wife talked me into getting back into church because she felt like something was just missing from our lives. So we went back to church. We ended up getting baptized and given and gave our lives to God. And two months later, my daughter got diagnosed with stage four cancer. Man. And how, how old was she? She was four. She was four. How, how did you guys know that something was wrong? What, how did that progress? So I had put Leah in dance class and gymnastics during my off season and coming up on June 2nd of 2014 was her dance recital. So I ended up flying back home to be at her dance recital because I was in Cincinnati for off season workouts. But I wanted to be there with her because I remember growing up, right? And I came from a broken home where my my family, my parents got divorced when I was in the third grade. But I remember every single game that I had playing football, basketball, I can look up in the stands and see both of my parents sitting next to each other cheering me on. And I felt like that's what really motivated me to make it to the NFL. So I knew it was important for me to make it to my daughter's dance recital. So I flew home. And that morning, I ended up taking my wife to work, and Leah went out to breakfast with her grandmother. And as I was driving back home after dropping my wife off, my phone started ringing. And when I answered, it was Leah's grandmom, and she told me that she had taken Leah to IHOP, and Leah wasn't eating. She just had her head down on the table. She was acting very lethargic, and she had a fever. And she asked me to set up a doctor's appointment for her to find out what was going on. Um, So I was going to continue to drive home and call her pediatrician, but something told me at that red light to ask what restaurant they were at. And that's when she told me she was at the IHOP, which happened to be right across the street from where I was stopped at, the red light. 
So I ended up making a U-turn. And when I went into the restaurant, Leah had her head down just like her grandmother said, and her head was extremely hot. So I ended up taking her to the emergency room across the street from the restaurant, hoping that they told her she had some type of ear infection um, to explain why she was running a fever, give her some medicine, and then she continue on with her dance recital that night. But they ended up finding a tumor in her stomach, and it really flipped our world upside down. Wow. How, I mean, what goes through your mind when you're finding out? So I can't even, I, you know, I have four kids, and I'm trying mm-hmm. to even fathom what that feels like. Um, do you feel a sense of powerlessness yeah. of yep. what do we even do from here? Yep, exactly. It's a sense of powerless because I think that, you know, all of us as parents, I know me when my daughter was born, I remember that night and I remember making that promise to her inside of her little cradle in the hospital that I was going to do everything I could to protect her as her father. And at that point, I felt like I failed because I had broke my promise. And when the doctors told us that she had cancer, my initial thought was really that my daughter was going to die because when I heard the word cancer, I just associated death with it. Absolutely. Had you ever had anyone in your family that had gone through it? No, it was my first time. Yeah. And I think it would be similar for me and I definitely don't have experience with, um, with, you know, babies getting it. So I can't imagine how scared that, how scary that was for you and your wife. Mm-hmm. Um, what happens then? What happens? What are next steps? So I just remembered after the doctor came out of the back room and told us that Leah had cancer. I remember my, my dad and her grandmother were sitting in the waiting room and the doctor told us that she was going to go tell them what just happened. And I told her, no, I told her she couldn't go tell them because if they was going to hear something like this, it had to come from a family member. It had to come from somebody that loved them and who they love. Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The farmer's dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. So I remember getting up and walking down to the waiting room. And as soon as I began to open my mouth to tell my, my parents what happened, I fell to the floor and I just broke down crying. And my dad ran over to me and he started rubbing my back and asking me what's wrong, what happened. And I just remember blurting out cancer. And I remember seeing out the corner of my eye, Leah's grandmother just running out of the room screaming. And you know, I don't remember anything that happened after that moment because I just felt like, you know, my world was over. Oh, my gosh. How did this affect um, your relationship with your wife? I feel like when things happen like this, it's um, it either will pull you together or it will drive you apart. Right. And I credit our relationship, starting that relationship with God before Leah got diagnosed for giving us the strength in order to make it through this battle. Because the first relationship that really almost ended because of this was my relationship with God, because I felt like you know, when you give your life to God, then things in your life are supposed to get easier. And Mm -hmm. I began to blame God for allowing this to happen to my daughter after I just gave my life to him. But 
soon I realized that, you know, my daughter had stage four cancer, which meant that she had this for a long time without us knowing. So maybe this was, you know, God allowing us to see that she had cancer so that we had a chance to save her life before it was too late. So once I, I changed my mindset in that aspect, the fight with cancer became easier, but the relationship with my wife became harder because mm-hmm. my daughter was from a previous relationship. So mm-hmm. I had been with my current wife for about a year before Leah got sick. And I knew that in order to help save my daughter's life, I had to dedicate everything I had to my daughter, everything I had to her fight. So that means I had to sacrifice my career as a professional football player. And I had to sacrifice my relationship because it takes everything to beat this type of um, disease. And although I was with my wife physically, I wasn't there mentally. Like Mm -hmm. there were a lot of times where we went weeks or even months without showing any type of, of infection or emotion to one another, not hugging, not kissing because I just wasn't mentally there. And I love my wife to death because one of the things that she did, which I believe really helped us during this fight, is that she didn't expect more of me than I had to give. Because mm-hmm. sometimes, you know, when we're, you're going through a tough situation, each person is grieving differently. Each person experienced different emotions than the other person. And sometimes we can expect too much from people at a time where they don't have it to give. So my wife really let me grieve um, what my daughter was going through in my own way. And she just let me know that she was going to be there every step of the way, regardless of what I was going through, regardless of how I made her feel. And because of that, we were able to make it through this storm together. That's incredible. What if, if someone's listening to this and they are, uh, they have a baby who, who's sick, they're, they're walking through something similar. What is something that you like, what's a bit of encouragement or something that you would say to a parent who finds himself in a similar situation? It would be three things I, I would tell them. Number one is don't blame yourself. Because I remember that being the first thing I did when I found out Leah had cancer. It was, why did I let her eat certain foods? Why did I let her drink certain things? Why didn't I see the signs early on um, that my daughter had cancer? And I just started to blame myself. And I remember, you know, Leah didn't make it easy for me either because when we first, when I first took her to the hospital, I took her by myself. And because the doctor was running all these different tests on her, they was poking her with needles throughout the whole night. And I remember it was a room full of our family, doctors, and friends, and they were giving Leah IV, and she just looked over to me, and she just yelled out in front of everybody, Dad, this is all your fault. Why did you bring me here? And it, it felt like somebody reached over that room and took my heart out my chest. And I had to walk out the room because I didn't want my daughter to see me crying. But I had realized that after a while that it wasn't my fault, that if I continued to focus on why did this happen to my daughter, I was going to miss out on the opportunity to help save my daughter. So the first thing would be not blame yourself. The second is just to allow yourself to be vulnerable because as parents, we try to be that rock for our kids. We try to be that protector so we try to hide the emotions we're going through, hide the tears that we're shedding in behind closed doors because we don't want our kids to see. And I realized I made that mistake when I was writing my book because I started to talk to my daughter about the things I was going through when I was in Cincinnati and she was in Philadelphia. And I had told her that sometimes we would have to be on FaceTime because we were so far apart. 
And I would see my daughter's like eyebrows falling off. I would see her getting skinnier, seeing her hooked up to uh, machines and getting chemo. And as a father, all I wanted to do was hug her and kiss her and let her know it was going to be okay. But I couldn't because I had to work in order to have insurance for her treatment. So whenever we would hang up the phone, I would just break down and cry. And when I told her this, she looked at me and she said, Dad, you know what? I was doing the same thing. I was trying to hold in my tears when we were on FaceTime. But when we would hang up, I would go in the bathroom in a hospital and I would cry because I just wanted you to be here so much. And I realized that, you know, without me even trying, I was teaching my daughter that it was okay to hide your feelings in order to make other people comfortable. So I'd like to tell parents now to just be vulnerable and share those moments with your kids because I wish now I could have broke down and cried with my daughter on FaceTime so she knew she wasn't alone. And the last one is to let them know that they can't win this battle. They can't win any battle in their life by watching it on the sidelines. Like you have to get in the game and start your, your way to make a comeback. And a lot of times we sit on the sidelines and we wait for other people to come save our lives or we wait for other people to come show us how we can get back control of our life. But you have to take, you know, control of your own life and get into the game because this battle is uh, possible of winning. So tell me then, how did things shift or how did you start using football as a platform to talk about what Leah was going through and and what you guys have created since? So I've been through a lot of struggle in my life just from, you know, the environment I was growing up in that was stricken with drugs and violence to uh, coming from a a broken home to having six different surgeries on my my road to the NFL. So I had learned a lot about overcoming adversity. And I remember in the beginning when Leah got sick, I had went down to the chapel inside the hospital and Weeks prior, I remembered in church that the pastor said, whenever you want to know God's presence, to just ask for it. Ask him to give you a sign that he's with you. So I dropped to my knees in the chapel. And I remember I was doing one of those ugly cries where it was snot going everywhere. It was tears falling all over the place. And I remember saying, God, if you're with me, please give me a sign. And soon as I said that, it's like every door inside that chapel started shaking. And because I didn't have a strong foundation in the church, I got scared and I hurried up and got up and I left the chapel. And as I was walking to her room, you know, all I could think to myself was, you know, my daughter is upstairs fighting death and she's depending on her dad to come up with a game plan. She's depending on her dad to come up with a way to help save her life. So I just started to write down all the things that I had been through throughout my life and how I was able to come, how I was able to overcome. And I ended up coming coming up with a playbook and I went upstairs and I taught my daughter how to have a mindset of an athlete so that she can overcome this battle with cancer. So tell us what that looks like. Uh, for you as you're, as you're drawing this out or mapping this out. And I love, 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 because I I love that you use your own experience to come up with some kind of navigation for her, because I think what a lot of us would do is go, I don't know anything about this, or I don't know anything about fighting cancer. And it would make us feel weak. Mm -hmm. But 
some kind of action, some kind of ownership of our lives is always going to empower us emotionally or mentally. Taking some kind of ownership is always better than passively sitting, like you said, on the sidelines. Right. So, so what does that look like for you? What did you take her through? Yeah. So, so the first thing was recognizing that I did have what it take to overcome cancer. And it wasn't that, you know, I was so strong of a person is that when I look back at my life, I realized that, you know, through all the struggles that I had told you about earlier during my second year of uh, the NFL, that God was really preparing me for this very moment. Because I believe that, you know, we serve a God that's not reactive, but he's proactive, meaning that when the enemy sends something your way to try to break you, God has already placed things in your life to help heal you. And sometimes those things can look like storms, but those storms are meant to, you know, teach you the lesson and give you the tools you need in order to overcome whatever may lay ahead of you. And for me, all those storms that I was facing my second year in the NFL was God telling me that, you know, the enemy is about to send something your way that you can never even think of. And with the mindset you have now, with the football strength that you have now, there's no way that you're going to be able to overcome it. So I'm going to need you to go through these storms so that you can have a closer relationship with me so that you can have the tools to help your daughter beat cancer. So when I walked into that room, the first thing I knew from my struggles was the doctors told us it was going to be about a two-year treatment plan if Leah was even going to survive this disease. So the first thing I made sure I did was break down that two-year time period into smaller time period so that we were able to celebrate along the way. Because I believe when you try to just look at your end goal, sometimes you can be discouraged because it's so far away. But when you break it down into smaller goals, you can celebrate those little victories so that it gives you that momentum. It gives you that motivation to continue to move forward. So what I did with Leah is every 21 days, Leah would have to go in for treatment for five days. If her ANC level or her white blood cell counts were able to rise back up after getting, you know, the strong chemo that she was getting. And every time we would leave the hospital, I would blast the radio in my car on the way, on the way home. And we would just start singing and dancing. And Leah will always sing, we're going home. We're going home. <laughs> and she would have this big smile on her face. And when I tell you that, I don't know where this girl got the energy from because this chemo was like wearing her down. Like she would look so weak after her five days of getting this chemo. But every time we got into the car, she found the strength to celebrate. So celebrating the little victories was what got us to our end goal. That's awesome. And how did you know, how did you know to start there? Like, was that something that you had done in your own career of what, what time frames were you breaking down for yourself? So during my freshman year at Penn State, um, I was having a really good training camp and I was supposed to play as a true freshman. But during training camp, I ended up tearing my ACL and my MCL. And the doctors told me that I was going to lose my entire freshman year, that it was going to take me a whole year to get back up onto the football field. So because I knew it was such a long time to get on the football field, I had to break it down into little pieces for me. One was just getting through the surgery, which was probably the hardest part, and then learning how to bend my knee or learning how to walk 
and then learning how to jog and then learning how to play football again. I had to break those down into smaller, you know, goals for myself so that I knew when Leah had a two year, you know, battle with this, I knew I needed to break it down because if not, she would get discouraged by how long it was taking to get to that end goal. Wow. What were other things from your own career or your own journey with, um, you know, being injured and coming back that you use to help her with this journey? Right. So one of the things that I love is something that we call game face. And I learned game face from football because when we're about to go play a game, I can walk around the locker room or I can walk around a huddle and look people in their eyes and tell whether they're ready to play a game or not without even having to say a word to them. So when Ever we would go to the hospital, like right before we would walk into those hospital doors, I would stop Leah at the door and I would make her turn around and I would say, Leah, game face. And she'll go, oh, and she'll put this really scary face on. Right. And I would do this every time we went to the hospital because I was mentally preparing her that no matter how you feel, no matter how tired you feel, no matter how much pain you're going to be in when we walk into this hospital and this toxic is pumping through your veins, you can't give up. You have to be mentally prepared to battle whatever obstacles you face when we go into this hospital. And we did that every single time we went to the hospital for two years. And she was always prepared for whatever this cancer or chemo threw at her. Gosh, that is so incredible. But I, I'm thinking of things, even people who aren't walking through something as hard as what you guys were walking through. That's just, this is just great advice for anybody who's pursuing anything, mm-hmm. who's trying to take on anything to not feel discouraged. I'm imagining myself like before I go on stage and I have to do a big speech. And maybe you do the same thing because I know you get to you get to travel around and do keynotes as well. Mm-hmm. That I like absolutely pump myself up. Like, all right, here we go. Oh, yeah. Like, if, yeah, to make sure that I'm ready to to do the job. But having her be so little and giving her the tools, I'm sure on some level made her feel like she had some ownership of something that seemed out of control. Yeah, I had to give her that because. You know, although this affected our whole family, this was Leah's fight. This was her chance to really prove to herself that she had what it took in order to overcome something like this. And I knew that this would be vital because I always knew that my daughter was going to beat this disease. But I knew this would be vital in helping her achieve whatever she wants to in life. Because once you overcome that, you know, you're capable of overcoming everything that you want to accomplish in life. And... I was put at a crossroads one time in the hospital, um, whether I was going to be that motivator for her or whether I was going to be that parent. And this came after Leah's seven-hour surgery. She had to have a a seven-hour surgery to remove the tumor from her stomach. And the doctor had told us that when she got out of surgery that Leah needed to move around a lot, that she couldn't just lay inside her bed and, and be asleep because she would get bed sores or get blood clots. So they ended up rolling her into her hospital room, and she was so swollen for the amount of fluid that she had been given in that seven hours that I didn't even recognize that she was my daughter. And initially she had slept for the first two days and we were getting to the third day. And I remember what the doctor had told me that Leah needed to get up and try to move around. So 
I was falling asleep on a couch inside the hospital room. And I remember Leah like peeking her eye open and she had asked me if I could give her a coloring book and crayons that was at the end of her bed. And initially I had jumped up off the couch and I was like, yeah, of course I would give you, you know, the crayons and the coloring book because I was so happy she was finally up. But then I remembered what the doctor had told me that Leah needed to move around. So I sat back down on the couch and I looked at Leah and I told her I could get you these things, but I'm not going to get it for you, that you have to get it yourself. And I remember Leah just giving me this crazy look like, man, he doesn't know what I just been through. And and I wanted to go get it to her after I saw that, that look on her face. But I knew that this was her moment to prove to herself that she was strong enough to overcome. So she ended up saying okay, and she started to sit up in her bed, and she went to reach for the crayons, and she's reaching for about two minutes, and then she ends up giving up and falling back on her bed, and she just had this look of failure on her face, and inside, it's like my heart was falling apart because as a dad, I didn't want to see my daughter going through this, and I thought to myself, man, you know, maybe I should go get this and then try again tomorrow. But I realize a lot of times in our life, we always tell ourselves we're going to try tomorrow, but we never end up trying. And that that one day turns into a week or to a month or to a year. And I wasn't going to allow that to happen with my daughter. So I didn't get the crayons. Instead, I decided to just cheer her on and let her know that she can get it, that she was already close to getting it. Now she just had to go a little bit more and she'll be able to grab it. So she ended up sitting up in the bed and she reached for the crayons again. And this time she ended up grabbing them and fell back onto the bed with this huge smile on her face. And I knew in that moment that although I knew she was capable of beating this disease, she now knew she was capable. That's incredible. My gosh. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. What do you think, um, uh, having gone through this whole thing, it's been, it, has it been four years? How long it, has it been? Next, no, this month on the 25th, she turns four years in remission. Oh my gosh, that's yep. so incredible. Oh, I love hearing that. What, um, what do you think is the biggest takeaway from this time? I mean, I, it feels impossible to kind of, boil it down into one thing, but having walked through this, what do you think is the thing that has surprised you most about Leah or about yourself? Is I learned throughout Leah's fight that you have to, you know, learn to accept failure, but never accept defeat in life if you want to be successful. And I say that because a lot of people who have success in life or a lot of people who are living the life they want, they experience a lot of failures along the way. Most people may have only known them because of their successes and they don't really realize the struggle that it was to get them where to where they're at now. But, you know, the first clinical trial that we had put Leah in, it didn't work. Um, the The cancer ended up spreading all over her body. It went from her hip to her chest, to her shoulders, her skull, her neck, all over the place. And I really thought that I was going to lose my daughter during that moment 
and so did the doctors. But we ended up putting her into a new clinical child because I always told her, right, that you have to fight for four quarters, that you you can't give up. Because in football, we're taught no matter how much pain you're in, no matter how you know tired you are, no matter what the scoreboard says, you give everything you have for four quarters. So I told Leo we was going to try a new clinical trial and pray that this one worked. So we put her into that clinical trial. And two months later, after going into the new trial, the cancer was completely eradicated from her body. And I realized that if we would have gave up after we had failed that first trial, if we would have allowed ourselves to become defeated, then my daughter wouldn't be here today. So the biggest lesson from this is just learning how to accept failures on your journey, but never accept defeat. You're inspiring the heck out of me today. I <laughs> I love this. I I I mean, I love um as a parent, I'm astounded listening to you tell the story. I am I am a motivator by trait. That's what I do for a living, and I'm trying to imagine if I would even have the strength to be that for my child as we were walking through this. So I just want to acknowledge that you knew on whatever level you knew that that's what she needed. And that's incredible. And I know so inspiring, not just to me, but to other listeners who have gotten to hear the story today. Um, Will will you tell us about, um, tell us about the organization that you guys started? So we started the Still Strong Foundation in 2015 because I, I wanted my daughter to have a purpose behind her battle with cancer because I knew Whenever you go into any type of fight or whenever you're trying to, you know, chase after any type of goal, you have to put a purpose behind it that's bigger than yourself that causes you to continue to move forward when you want to give up because you know other people are dependent on you. And one time we were in the hospital and I took Leah to the the playroom because she liked to do arts and crafts to really pass the time in the hospital. And when I walked into the room, there was a little eight-year-old girl sitting at a table by herself with a, a pole next to her and an IV drip going into the Broviac catheter in her chest, and she was getting chemo. And I decided to go sit with the little girl because I didn't want her to be sitting by herself, especially while she was getting chemo. And just a couple of minutes after sitting with her, she opened up and told us how she always spent time in the hospital by herself because she came from a single parent household and her mom had to leave all the time to go to work so that she could still pay the bills because, you know, bills don't stop just because your child has cancer. And it broke my heart when this little girl said that because it's already bad enough that, you know, this eight year old or, you know, kids all over are fighting death at such a young age before they even have a chance to live. But to have to fight it by yourself is just ridiculous. And it's a lot of kids who are in the hospital fighting this disease by themselves. So I knew that we had to we had to start a foundation where we could really make change for these families. So we started this foundation where we financially assist families with their household bills, such as mortgages and utilities, because we want to be able to keep these families in the hospital fighting together and not worrying about whether they're going to have a house or a car to to drive back and forth to the hospital with as their child is battling cancer. That is so incredible. My gosh. Did you ever think, like, you know, go back in the day when you are worried because you didn't go 15th in the draft, mm-hmm. that this was where 
you were being led and this was what you were going to do with your life. It's, I dare say it's an even more incredible legacy than if you had just had this football career. Um, yeah. Uh, will you talk about, tell us about the book because if people are listening and they want to dig in more and we've already gotten so much great wisdom from you today, but, um, tell us about the book. Yeah. Just to touch on what you said, I, I always thought that, my legacy would be football. I always thought that my destination was the NFL, but I really feel like, you know, football was just my vehicle to help me get to where my destination is supposed to be. And I'm not sure where that's at now, but I just knew, I know that God has used my platform as an NFL player to really reach the masses. And, you know, I never planned on writing this book. I didn't have any interest in writing this book because I shared so much with people in front of the camera as I was going through this battle with my daughter because I wanted people to see what it's like for families who are battling childhood cancer. But I ended up having, I made it back to football after Leah went into remission and um, I ended up getting hurt and I had football surgery. I mean, I had foot surgery and my mom had came down to Houston to help take care of me. And I was on so much pain medicine to try to alleviate the pain I was in. I was falling in and out of sleep a lot and I was I fell asleep on a couch and I remember waking up and Oprah was on TV when I woke up and she was interviewing Jack Canefield about chicken soup for the soul. And I remember Jack saying how he would put these short stories into this book because he wanted to inspire people. He wanted people to see their struggles within this story so that they can overcome. And in that moment, I was inspired. I felt like I was given an assignment in that moment to put this book together so that people were able to have the winning playbook that I believe God gave me to help me overcome every struggle that I faced in my life. So throughout this book, you're going to hear about those struggles that I faced, but you're going to hear it in a way that you can relate to. Because I think that, you know, regardless of whatever struggle you're going through, the basis of getting through it is all the same. And I just want to teach people that no matter what you're going through, you're always still in the game because no loss is too great to stop your comeback in life. Dang, I love that. And what what's the, uh, the you set yourself up perfectly for it. What's the book called? It's called Still in the Game, Finding the Faith to Tackle Life's Biggest Challenges. So great. And if uh, if people are just meeting you for the first time, Devin, where uh, where can they find you online? So I hang out a lot on Instagram. Uh, I really built a, a great community where, you know, people just come on and really allow themselves to be vulnerable and share the struggles that they're going through so that we can motivate each other and fight through our struggles together. And you can find me on Instagram at Still in the Game. And I'm also, you can visit my website at DevinStillInTheGame.com or you can purchase the book at StillInTheGameBook.com or Amazon or Barnes & Noble's. That's awesome. I am so grateful for your time and I'm so grateful for your wisdom. You dropped, you know, 10 truth bombs on us today. And I know I'm not the only one who's like, I literally, as you're talking, I wrote down all sorts of quotes. Um, thank you for, for showing up, man. Like so many people have walked through similar things and don't, don't have the courage to talk about what they've gone through, even when even when the outcome is good, mm-hmm. even when something good happens. It, it, I I can't fathom how hard it is to 
to talk about it and to write about it and to relive it because those are not easy seasons to remember the fear that you had or the worry or the anxiety. So I just want to honor you for doing the hard work in order that other parents and other people can be inspired by what you and your family have gone through. Oh, thank you, Rachel. And I, I really appreciate you having me on. And I, I want to honor you too, because to see the work that you're doing out here to really uplift people through their struggle, it's inspiring to them. It's inspiring to me. And it's really going to make a difference in the world. So I thank you for allowing me to be a part of it. Absolutely. Thank you so much, man. I super appreciate it. Oh, no problem.